Uh, it's great to see you. Um, let me add my welcome to the one that John's already given you. It's great to see you here this morning. And uh, if you're visiting us, uh, it's really, really good to have you. Um, and if you're here for the first time, it's great to, to see you. We, we, we really hope you feel comfortable with us and uh, at ease with us this morning. I hope that's been your experience already. Uh, as John uh, has already said, my name's Ben. I'm one of the, the leaders here of this, of this uh, church. And um, this morning, we are kind of kicking off a new series. Now, let me just say a, a bit about that before we, before we uh, move on. It is different to what we would normally do. So if you've been here for any length of time or you've been here before, you'll know that for the last kind of six months, we've been working our way through the first 10 chapters of Mark's Gospel. Um, now, that's, that's the normal kind of way we would do things. We work through a book of the Bible, we, we look at a passage... Uh, week on week and we work through that passage and we see what God is saying to us through it. This is a what we call a topical series. It's looking at uh, what does the Bible say about this, this topic. And um, that will mean that it looks a bit different. So each week we'll look at a different passage, perhaps in a different part of the Bible. And week by week, whilst I use a passage as a base, we will then kind of hop around a bit to see what the Bible says about this. And uh, the this that I'm talking about is uh, what we call joined to Jesus. Now, if you haven't got a clue what that means, don't worry, because I hope that um, uh, today that will become clear, and over the next few weeks that will become clear as well. Uh, Now, before we kick off, let me pray, and then we'll have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, For all the truths that we've been singing this morning, thank you that you're a God who wonderfully saves us, who rescues us, who makes us your own. Father, we praise you so much for your grace towards us. And we pray, Father, this morning that as as we look at your salvation, as we look at it more closely, uh, that you would reveal your glory through it, that um, we would uh, wonderfully know you more, um, and be so much more secure in, in who we are in Christ. Father, please help us. By the power of your Spirit, we pray that you would change our hearts. Father, we pray that that would be true for all of us in this room. We pray for it, that it would be true for the, for the children that have, have gone out. Please, Father, would they see and know Jesus more uh, today. And we pray that too for, for churches in Camborne, Churches uh, further afield, Father, would they be preaching Jesus faithfully and would people be knowing him more uh, this day? We pray, Father, for your glory uh, and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I wonder how you normally think about salvation. You know, how is it that salvation that kind of rescue that John was so helpfully pointing out to us, how does that happen uh, to us? Now, why don't you uh, uh, just spend a couple of minutes answering that question. Now, if, look, if, you, if you haven't got the foggiest, if you don't want to talk about this, that's absolutely fine. That's not a problem at all. Um, you, you can just sit there in silence if you want, or you can talk about uh, the miserable weather outside. Uh, but... Um, just spend a couple of minutes. How, how do we think of salvation? How is it that salvation happens? Uh, just a couple of minutes and then we'll come back together.
Okay. Uh, sorry to kind of interrupt your conversations. Um, now, I don't, I don't know what you came up with, um, but I think often uh, we can think of salvation as something, a, a thing to be obtained. Okay, so you might think about a picture of some kind of rescue. Uh, so there you are, for one reason or another, you, you're, you're kind of in the ocean in a stormy sea and you're flailing around and you're, you, you know, you're going to die, uh, basically. And then somebody comes out to rescue you in a boat and they throw you a ring to kind of keep you going and then they swim out to you and uh, they drag you into the boat and they die in the process. So they sacrifice their own life, but you're saved. Okay, you're safe, you, you've been saved, your life has been spared, and so you have this thing, you have life. You have salvation. Or, perhaps you've seen um, this kind of thing before. Um, uh, so, you, you know, it's the kind of idea that there's a gap between you and God that's created by your sin. You can't cross that gap, you can't get over, and the only way that a bridge is built between the two is by the cross. And so you walk over the bridge and you obtain eternal life. Uh, salvation is something that you get through Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you think of salvation as something more like this. I'm not sure if you've uh, seen this kind of diagram before. Uh, this is a, a, is a thing called two ways to live. <coughs> And it's a way of presenting the gospel. Um, so let me just explain it to you. You have six different pictures there. Uh, and in the first one, the top left, you've got the idea that God is king. And uh, he's made us. He's made everything. Uh, the second picture, we reject him. So we, we say, no, you're not the king and we're the king. We want to be in charge. That means, third picture, that we face death. We face judgment. And, but here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross. Uh, bottom left there, and then he was raised to life again, so Jesus is now the king of the world. And so we are left with a choice. We either continue to reject Jesus and live for ourselves, or we put Jesus as our king and we're saved, and we have life with him. Now, I guess this diagram, it means that salvation is less of a thing, so it's about a person, it's all about Jesus, but... It's all outside of us. Okay, so Jesus is the king up there, and he's done this somewhere over here, and now you need to live for him. See, it's all kind of outside of us. It's all at a distance. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this. Uh, I, I, you can get it in a booklet. Um, it doesn't cost, cost about 20p or something, and, and I've used it many times with, with people. It, 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 you know... Uh, it, it, and in fact, with all the pictures I, I've just presented, actually, things I'm talking about, there's really good things, and uh, good things that are right about them and are good about them. So absolutely, salvation comes. Um, uh, salvation means you, you don't lose your life. Um, you, you, you live for eternity. That's great. That's great news. That, of course, comes through Jesus, who, who accomplished things outside of us. So he came and he died and rose again about 2,000 years ago in a different country. That all happened over here, you know, somewhere out there. That's absolutely right. But here's the thing. What, what I want you to see this morning and throughout this series is that whilst Jesus did make 
a way for salvation over here, whilst it is about life, actually that only counts for us as we're joined to Jesus. Ultimately, that's how we're saved, by being joined to Jesus. So uh, John Calvin, was a, he, was a, he was a pastor in the 1500s, and he said this, We must understand that as long as Christ reign, remains outside of us, and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. In other words, to be saved, we must be joined to Jesus. And Christians, therefore, they are joined to Jesus in a very, very real way. So much so that that even the things that he did outside of us never really happened outside of us. Now, if that seems like a slightly odd thought, uh, it is. It it is in one sense. This is a truth that we we can never, we will never be able to get our heads around. Uh, So this is the truth, if you can imagine it. It's it's a bit like this this massive kind of beach ball. Um, You know, no matter how hard you try, it's so big that you you, you just can't quite get your arms around it. You, You can never quite grasp it. And yet, you can see it. So you you can turn the ball around, you can see all the different colours. Whilst we can't grasp it, you you can see it, you can understand it. Now that's because the New Testament talks about it all the time. In fact, being joined to Jesus is mentioned 150 times in the New Testament. The thing is, it's mentioned in such a way that it's incredibly easy to miss. Because being joined to Jesus, the Bible talks about it every time you just read two small words. Those words are in Christ. In him, in Christ, or with Christ. Broadly speaking, every time you see that, it's talking to the about the fact that we really are in him. A bit like um, if, I, uh, if I grab, here you go, perfect. If I grab this piece of paper and I put this in this Bible and I close the Bible, the paper is in the Bible. The paper is now joined to the Bible, so the paper goes where the Bible goes. Uh, you see, it becomes one with the Bible. Effectively, it's joined to the Bible. See, Christians are joined to Jesus. They are in Christ. Now what we're going to do is we're going to explore this truth for the next five Sundays, looking at at all that it means for us, and my hope is that that whilst we we might not be able to kind of fully get our heads around it, actually we will understand it, and not only that, but we will will rejoice in it, because it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, truth, as as I I hope we see. And today we're looking at salvation. Uh, So the fact that, that, that being joined to Jesus we are joined to our Saviour. And all I want us to see is that that is how salvation comes uh, to us, that that is how people like you and I can stand 
before a holy God by being joined to Jesus. Salvation is found in him. That's the, that's the one big thing I want us to see today. Salvation is found in Christ. Salvation is found in Christ. Now we see this really clearly in uh, just one verse in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, here. We'll focus on this one verse. We'll, we'll look at some context later on. But here's how salvation is found. You see it there in verse 21. So have a look down uh, at chapter 5, uh, verse 21 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, you see there, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now we're going to spend a bit of time exploring that, um, and we see there, there's kind of three things going on. Okay, so the first thing is that Jesus had no sin. Uh, you, see, you see that God made him who had no sin. That is to say that Jesus was forever the perfect son, and he lived... As he came as a man, he lived a perfect life. Now, I hope we see that as you, as you read the Gospels, that that's evident. But it also includes his death. So as Jesus goes to the cross, that is an act of obedience. It was the Father's will. It was an act of obedience. He was obedient to the point of death. And as Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrection, it's like a stamp of approval. So the Bible tells us that, that Jesus was, was, was vindicated, was justified by his resurrection. That is, having died like a criminal, the resurrection, in the resurrection, God is saying, actually, do you know what? That was not the death that he deserved. And by raising him, I want everybody to know that he has always been perfectly obedient. Jesus had no sin. Life, death, resurrection. It all points to the fact he had no sin and so, his death on the cross is not some kind of crazy mistake. Actually, we see here what happened. You see there, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now, that doesn't mean that suddenly on the cross, Jesus decided to turn against God and become a sinner. Now, he was made sin. Sin was transferred to him for us. So as he's punished on the cross, it's, it's our sin that's count, that counts against him. Uh, uh, this, of course, helps us, doesn't it? That helps us to understand why Jesus had to come as a man. So he could identify with us in this way, so that he could be punished as a man instead of us, to be made sin for us. So you see here, here you have this picture of this innocent man who walks into a courtroom He's done nothing wrong, he's done everything right, and yet the judge looks at him and he is furious. And the judge sees that actually he's done everything wrong and he says, you're condemned to death. He had no sin, yet he was made sin. Now Jesus does that for a purpose. You see there, uh, just have a look at verse 21 again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Here's the purpose. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is to say, we could become people who would be seen as so holy and blameless that God can fairly 
and rightly bring us to himself. So you see, we walk into that courtroom, having done everything wrong, deserving death, and the judge looks at us, and instead of counting all our sin against us, he says, you're fine. In fact, you're perfect. You can go. You see, we should be condemned as we walk into that, that courtroom, but we're not. Instead, we're considered righteous, we're saved. Now, that is outrageous. But God is still righteous in that judgment because of how it happens. And the thing that I want you to see this morning is, do you see there how it happens in verse 21? Did you see just just those two little words in verse 21, how this happens? Let, let, Let me read it again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that, do you see it there? In him. That's in Christ. We might become the righteousness of God. It's in him, it's in Christ that God can just let us go because we're joined to Jesus. That's how he becomes sin, and that's how we become righteous. So, just think about that. When Jesus becomes sin for us, it is not like an electronic bank transfer where where kind of all our debt is plonked from our account to his account, and he just kind of pays it off uh, to, to, and we kind of watch from a different distance. No, look, he's made sin because we're joined to him. So he is punished because we're joined to him. So uh, Galatians uh, 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, the same is true of us. So just, just imagine that. If you look at the cross, okay, and you see Jesus hanging there, breathing his last, taking the anger of God, And this verse says, as you walk around the other side of the cross, there is someone who is crucified with Christ. The the hands and feet of this other person are joined to his, and that person is breathing their last and taking the anger of God, and that person is you. See, as you walk around the other side of the cross, you're hanging there. Your sin has been dealt with because in a very real way you have been punished. Now of course we don't experience that physically uh, uh, because spiritually uh, uh, we're joined to Jesus by, by, uh, uh, by his spirit. Spiritually we're really there. We're joined to him by his spirit. And actually, therefore, it's closer than being on the other side, isn't it? it, 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 it he was made sin because we're, we're, we're with him, because we're, we're in him. That, that's what it means. We're joined to him. That's how he was made sin for us. Now, more than that, we're joined to him who had no sin. It, 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 in him, we, we gain his, his, his perfectly obedient life. That's because the Bible also tells us this, that you're raised with Christ. 
So you see, he, he is the approved one. As he, 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 he was approved at his resurrection as the one who is perfectly obedient. And so in him, we also have that stamp of approval. As if we'd lived our whole lives perfectly. That doesn't mean we become God. It simply means our humanity is restored. God approves of us as if we lived our lives exactly as we were supposed to. It's in him that he has made sin. We're crucified with him. It's in him that we become righteous. We're raised with him. And so you see, uh, uh, being joined to Jesus is just like a marriage. So uh, when, I, when I married my uh, lovely uh, wife, uh, Susie, uh, she owned um, collections of, of books uh, that were brilliant, like uh, real, you know, classic books, cultured, articulate, uh, really good reads, uh, Dickens, The Pickwick Papers, Henry James, Portrait of a Lady, loads of Jane Austen stuff, Shakespeare. Uh, th- these were books that I was really excited about, that, but, but that I had never owned. And when I married her, they all became mine. Uh, in fact, all that she had became mine. She became mine uh, because we became one flesh. Uh, we were joined together. Now, I had a broad collection of Tom Cruise DVDs, and they became hers. Uh, and you see, as we become one in our marriage, what was mine now belonged to her. Uh, not only belonged to me, but also belonged to her. And what was hers be- belonged to, to me. It became mine. And being joined to Jesus is not, is not just like that. It is a marriage. That's exactly how the Bible describes it in Ephesians 5, that Christ has married his church, that he's become one with his church. So all that, that, that we have becomes his. And all that he has becomes ours. That's what it means to be joined to him. And I guess from these verses here in 2 Corinthians, we see that that's not an exchange that's a slightly kind of, you know, great books for Tom Cruise DVDs. It's not, it's not like that. Uh, or it's not like one partner has more wealth than the other. Actually, you know, if you, if you were, if you were uh, we run a Life Explored during the week, if you were there during the week, that's exactly how the, the speaker described it in the video. It's like a member of the royal family who has everything, who has all the status and wealth you could ever wish for, being becoming married to a prostitute or to a beggar who has absolutely nothing to offer. See, as he joins himself to you, he takes your debt, your guilt, your shame, your sin. It becomes his. And he gives you everything he has. He gives you his perfect life. That's how salvation comes. Now, one of the answers you you may have come up with at at the beginning of this sermon is, well, maybe salvation comes by faith. That's right, but do you see, your faith doesn't save you. Your faith joins you to Jesus. Salvation is only ever found as we're joined to him. Now, there are two um, 
two implications of this truth that, that I want to kind of conclude with. You know, what, what does this do for us? So if we, if we obtain everything that's his and we, we give him everything that's ours, we're joined to him for our salvation. What does that mean? Well, firstly, it means humility. Humility. I, I hope you can see that this truth affirms that salvation is nothing of ourselves. We have done nothing to be right before God. We contribute nothing to this marriage. Actually, that's not true. We do contribute something to this marriage. We contribute our sin. That's all we, that's all we can give. And it never puts us in the right with God. And the only way you can stand before a holy God is in Christ. So John Calvin, I mentioned at the beginning, he, 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 he said this again. He said, the only haven of safety is in the mercy of God as manifest, uh, manifest in Christ, in whom every part of salvation is complete. As all mankind are in the sight of God, lost sinners, we hold that Christ is their only righteousness, since by his obedience he has wiped off our transgressions by his sacrifice appeased of our anger, by his blood washed away our sins, by his cross borne our curse, and by his death made satisfaction for us. We maintain that in this way, man is reconciled in Christ to God the Father, by no merit of his own, by no value of his works, but by gratuitous mercy. That is always the case. So as he gives you his resurrection life, the whole of your life is, is seen as his. We never deserve it. We never can earn it. That, that is Paul's point in Philippians 3. So what Paul does in Philippians 3 is he lists all these ways that he's been a really good Jew, a really good person. And then he says they're rubbish. And instead, this is true, he wants to be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And you see, as we see that truth, that we grow in humility. Now, that doesn't mean that we, we go around talking about how terrible we are at everything. It, it, it means that in everything we look to Christ. So in your very worst moments, you know, when you see the horror of your sin, look to Christ. The fact that you're joined to him. In your very best moments, when you are tempted to think, I'm okay, I've done the right thing, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm all right with God. Look to the fact that you're joined to Christ. Look to the fact that you're joined to Jesus. That's humility. And as you do that, you have a deep sense of assurance. That's the second thing we see that this truth results in. It results in assurance. <clears throat> see, one day, we will stand before God's throne... And there will be no condemnation for those in Christ. That's what Romans 8 tells us. No condemnation. So he, he will look on us perfectly. 
And you can be completely sure of that because he looks on you perfectly every single day. So it's just like how, how a groom looks at his bride on, on their wedding day. You know, on that day as the bride walks into the room, the, the groom, on that day, at that moment, the groom sees the most beautiful, pure, perfect person, the most amazing thing that's ever happened to him. Now, sadly, you know, that, that kind of love that, that the groom has at that moment may not last, but, but Jesus' love is not like ours. God's love is not like ours. It doesn't, it doesn't whimper or waver. He looks, as a, he looks at us as if we were his bride walking down the aisle every single moment of every single day. All he can see in you is perfection. And that gives us great assurance, doesn't it? You know, so, so if you go back to the courtroom, if you stand before, you know, imagine this, if you stood before the judge and he says to you, well, look, um, you've been quite good, I'll let you out on probation and we'll see how you get on. Go and live a good life and, and come back to me, we'll see how you do. If that was the case, you'd never know how you would get on when you see him again. You, you, just, you just wouldn't, you'd always be wondering, wouldn't you, whether you've done enough or been good enough. If you stood before the judge and he simply says, you're a terrible person and you deserve death, but I forgive you and you will not receive your punishment, wonderfully, do you know what? You get to go free. But... Do you see, you still then walk around with the stigma of being a terrible person. You walk around feeling guilty and full of shame at what you have done because you've just been forgiven. Can you see, being joyed to Jesus is more, so much more than forgiveness. Because you stand before the judge and you're not on your own. You stand there with Jesus as his spotless, perfect bride. And, and, and God looks at you and he says... I have no record of your sin. You have never done anything wrong. And you have done everything right. And we can rest in that. You know, we, we can be completely and utterly assured of our salvation in Christ. Now I guess one question uh, for us to think about with this is, how do you know that you have grasped this truth? How, how do I know that I am, I am resting in that assurance. How do I know that, 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 that I do look to Christ? And I think the answer is you consider how you treat other people. I think you consider how you treat people who are in Christ and particularly the people who are closest to you. Because you see, even as they fail you, 
and they sin against you, the question is, do you see them as God sees them? Do you see them as God sees you in Christ? I, I think that's what Paul means here in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. See there, verse, six, verse 16. He says, from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So if somebody is joined to Christ, we don't judge them by their sin. We don't judge them by the world standards or my standards. Surely we're to see them as spotless. Now look, I don't think that means that there is no room for correction or, or rebuke in this life. I think that's exactly what Paul is, is com- compelled to do here in, in chapter 6. Instead, it means that you're always, always genuinely loving one another in a way that whatever needs addressing, you're pointing them back to the fact that they are in Christ and God loves them dearly. And that's the way you deal with them. In terms of people who are not in Christ, can you see uh, here, um, verse 18, that, that having been reconciled, God gives you a ministry of reconciliation. That is, you go and say to people, do you not know there is a way, there is a way that you can be spotless before God. There is a way you can approach the throne of God without guilt or shame or sin. And that way is in Christ Jesus. And so, I, if you're not a Christian here today, I, I, I hope that that is something that you've heard, that there is a way for you to be saved, and the only way for you to be saved is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus not only came and lived and died and rose again, but he joined himself to us. Praise you, Father, that all of our sin has been given to him, uh, that we were in him on the cross, with him on the cross. Praise you, Father, that all his righteousness is placed on us. (coughs) Father, thank you that you look upon us as perfect people who have always, always got everything right. Father, we know that's not, it's nothing of us. So help us to keep looking to Christ. Help us to keep speaking of Christ. Help us to keep resting in Christ. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. So um, uh, we have, if, you, if, you're, if you're not used to uh, being here at Christchurch Campbell, we have a, um, uh, a time for questions and discussion um, and um, we, 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 we allow an opportunity for that to take place first on your tables. Um, again, don't worry, if you don't want to talk about what you've heard, that's fine. Um, but please don't feel pressured by that. Um, but feel free to talk about um, what's been said, uh, the passage that we've looked at, some of the truths that we've, we've heard. And then what we'll do is we'll open it up so you can ask anything and everything um, you want to.
uh, at the end. So let's have two minutes discussion and then um, we'll have questions, thoughts, comments. Um, that'd be great. Okay, so sorry to um, sorry to interrupt, uh, uh, but if there's if there's anything that anyone would like to say, or you know if you something that you want to contribute to what's been said, or if you'd like to ask a question, we can have a some kind of discussion. Uh, that's fine. Um, any comments or thoughts or questions? Paul Slater. It's really good to have uh, Paul visiting us today. Uh, yeah, go for it, Paul. Um, Colossians, I think, chapter 1 talks about us being, uh, sorry, uh, Christ being in us as the hope of glory. Yeah. Is that something different or is that the same as us being in Christ? Yeah, that's a really good question. So Paul, Paul says, just so you can hear, um, so Colossians 1 says, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And... Um, Paul's saying, is that something different or is that the same for us to, to, as being in Christ? And uh, what I want to say is, is yeah, that, that, is our, that is talking about us being joined to him. So just as we're in him, he is in us. And of course, that's by his spirit. And, and the verse there talks about that actually, look, that is our hope of glory. And I guess that means two things. That the one thing that, that, that Jesus, we'll be looking at this next week, by the way, that you're joined to Jesus forever. So, um, yeah, he's pretty it. So, we're joined to Jesus forever. In, in other words, being joined to Jesus is the way that you're guaranteed to get to the new creation. It's your hope of glory. But I think more, what, what's, what's, what's more striking for us is that the hope of glory is not some great place where everything's okay. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So it's Christ that's the hope of glory, and it's Christ being joined to you that's the hope of glory. Um, that, that you're, you know, I, I guess that ties in with today, that your hope of glory is bound up with being spotless in him. Um, yeah, do, does that, do you want to come back at that? Or? Great. Um, yeah, but wherever it talks about Jesus being in you, or you being in Jesus, that, that's talking about being joined to Jesus. Any other thoughts or comments or questions? Uh, John, yeah. Um, so it says that uh, yeah, in our passage, um, lots of language about us uh, as well. Yeah. So I, I guess I was thinking that um, it's not just that me, myself, am joined to Jesus. But a bit like what you said about how we think of other people. Yeah. So we're all together joined to him yeah. um, as a whole body. Yeah. And that's quite cool. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't hear that, John was saying uh, the, there's a lot of plural going on in this chapter and um, therefore it, it's it actually we're joined to Jesus. Now, uh, come here week three, join to Jesus together. That's the whole, John's just done the sermon for you, but you can hear it again uh, week three, that we're joined to Jesus together, we're joined to Jesus as a body, which has massive implications for how we relate to one another, what we do together, um, and uh, how we see one another. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I think it's great. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Um, yeah, any, anything else? Any, any other questions, comments, thoughts? Go on, John. What does that mean?
Yeah, that's a very good question. Thanks, John. So you, you, I tell you what, look at there is a man who is working hard at the passage uh, as I'm speaking. And Paul talks here, uh, doesn't he, about verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his peace uh, appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Um, I, I guess... Uh, uh, to be an ambassador of Christ is to, is to be somebody who speaks uh, on his behalf. Uh, does that make sense? So what, what, what God has done says to you, he really, really wants you to be joined to Jesus. Jesus has died and rose again and he, 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 he wants to be joined to you. And God says this, but he does it through us. We're his ambassadors. We, we are to go out and say to people, there is a way that you can be right with God. Um, and you're speaking on his behalf. You're, you're saying what God wants to say to people. Do, does that make sense, John? Yeah? Great. Um, anybody else want to chip in on that? Or no. Okay. Anything else at all? 